It's the Act Two Podcast, a podcast for the real life working screenwriter. I'm Tasha Hugh. And I'm Josh Hallman. Before we do our episode about Ted Lasso, I know just homework stuff, uh, remember to subscribe to the podcast. That's how you're going to know when our new episodes drop and all our new topics. If you like anything that you're hearing, scroll down to the bottom of your app, rate, comment. It really does help us out. You can also DM us if you want any questions or topic suggestions. You can reach out to us at act2writers at gmail.com. That's all spelled out. Or on our Instagram at act2writers. I'm also on Instagram too, Story Thursday, and on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. And I am Josh Hallman and Joshua Hallman on Twitter. All right, before we get into Ted Lasso, which I feel like we've been building the suspense for this episode, uh-huh. I have something to say. <laughs> and I have something to say as well. All right. So a few episodes ago, Josh made me talk about myself, and it was terrible. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, well, wait a second. Josh, Josh <laughs> is notorious for never talking about himself. So today I'm kind of turning the tables on you. And I'm really just going to do it by painting a scene. Because I want you to see yourself from my point of view. Okay, great. <laughs> this should be fun. <laughs> All right, so I have known Josh for 12 years, since 2009, which is insane to me. Yeah. I can't believe it's been that long. <laughs> so <clears> one <throat> day, he very offhandedly says to me, hey, guys, like, there's this screening thing that's going on. You don't have to come. It's whatever. <laughs> but my short film is playing there. And I was like, what short film? What the hell are you talking about? And he goes, oh, you know, I mentioned it. I wrote this film for my buddy. And I was like, well, yeah, you mentioned it. But, like, I didn't know it got made. I certainly didn't know it was at a film festival. And he's like, yeah, it's in downtown L.A. Come if you want. Like, I feel like you're technically the first person to actually get anything produced in our writers group, aren't you? Did that come before Welcome Home with Dave? I don't think so. No? Just after, maybe? Yeah, I think it did. Oh, really? Didn't it? I, I don't... Dave was 2018. I, I think I was 2018. Okay, right around the same time then. Yeah. Neck and neck. Yeah, neck and neck. Because it was 2019 that we did all the festival stuff. All right. All right, so you do all the festivals, and I go, and I dress up and everything. I treat this like the premiere for Josh's short <laughs> film that he never told us about. And by the way, yours was by far like the best short at the entire festival. It was awesome. It was like this father-son story with a superhero aspect. It shot in Japan, right? Yeah, and it, it was co-written with the director, Kai Hassan, who is a friend, but we wrote it together. He directed it. I just have to throw that out there. Now that I have Kai listening to the podcast, so he's going to probably listening right now and be like, there we go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's important because when you said like, oh, I'm writing with my buddy, it's like, okay, it's like a side thing he's doing with his buddy. And then suddenly it's at a freaking film festival. So it was a bigger deal than you seem to really bill it in writer's group. So it's called Robu, right? Yeah, it stars Jarrell Jerome. He was in Moonlight and he won an Emmy last year for When They See Us, which was on Netflix. Oh, shit. All right. So obviously this is a big deal. And then I just want to say that that happened whenever, 2019, 2018, whenever that was. And then this happened like a few months ago where we were talking about something else (laughs) entirely, Josh. We were talking about like your new project that you're working on and you're like, oh, it's financed. It's ready to go. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. 
what how is it financed you're like oh like we got some we got some money because our short film robu won an award in japan and it's well, like a on. very prestigious award so there's there's something to say about this yeah it won this prestigious award in japan which kai went to and i didn't go to i should have gone to japan but anyway <laughs> Yeah, Kai like called you, said, "Hey, do you want to come? We're winning this award." You're like, "No, no, no, that's all right." And then you find out it's like a major deal in Japan, right? What is the award that you won? It was called like the Governor's Award, I think. That sounds so fancy. It put us into Academy Award qualification, and so it was a cool festival in Japan. But I think both Kai and I are kind of over it. Now we're actually working on something which is like a feature, not of Robu, but basically in the same wheelhouse as Robu. Mm-hmm. Which is it's a really it's going to be awesome, so we're writing it now. It is going to be awesome because Robu was awesome. Can people find Robu online? Is that just something you can Google and find? No, we took we don't have it online. Oh man! Well, I just know. trust me, everyone. It was really good. I know. Kai's listening to this right now. He's like, should have put it online. Kai, you should put it online. We will. We will at some point. Well, I just want to make it clear that Josh is a secretive, more secretive than I am about his accomplishments. So I will do my best at poking Josh and making sure that he tells us about the amazing things he's doing in his career because he will hide them from us. That is true. We're both equally uh, pretty secretive about things. And I dodged out of talking about Robu just there. It was You awesome. really did. Again, he did it again. And I fell for it. So um, you and I met someone who basically told us that they do a lot of touch-ups for really big writers. And what I mean touch-ups is that these big writers will come to this person or another person and say, hey, person, can you just write like the first draft for me and I'm going to pay you? And then that person takes the draft, the big writer, and just puts it in his own language or her own language. And I think you and I, we know this happens, and I think we've heard about this happening, but then we met someone who we both knew that this happened to. I hope that wasn't too confusing. <laughs> the point is, is it's just really fucking crazy to think about that writers hire other writers, ghostwriters, to write, and they just take all the credit. I mean, I don't know why I should, should be so surprised about it, but it's just like when it hits close to home and you know someone who's doing it, that's just, I don't know. It just weirded me out. Yeah, it caused like a big ruckus when we both found out about it because we were like, wait, 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 wait. I thought this was a myth that writers do this. I didn't realize this was a real thing. But yeah, I mean, you and I are not A-list writers. We make that very clear. But it does seem that there's a whole list of A-list writers out there who are essentially getting ghost writers to come in and do an array of things like punch up their script, punch up their jokes, et cetera, et cetera, um, and just not put their name on it, right? That's what ghostwriting means is you're paid by the A-list writer to do it, but you get no credit for it. And instead, all the credit goes to Lord and Miller, for example, who wrote Lego Movie, um, <laughs> things like that. So you get these A-list writers who do everything from, hey, touch up my stuff to, hey, here's an outline that I have written for a script I am getting paid for from say Universal Studios, um, but I don't have time to write it because I have five other projects I'm doing. Can you, younger writer, who I like and trust and like your taste and like your writing abilities, can you just write a first pass of this draft based on this outline that I give you? And then I'll write from there. Which to be honest, you and I have joked how we both wish we could do that. <laughs> like, yeah, Like, oh, the first draft is so hard. <laughs> I just wish someone would just write it and I'll fix it because revising something a is it's whole, a whole other skill set for a writer, but 
does feel so much easier than a blank page. So in some ways there's like a wish fulfillment to that idea, but also I'm like, your writing is your is your baby. It's it's you on the page. I just feel like I'd feel like a cheater if I did that. Well, what's interesting about that is I think we're going to be taking bets for when you do start to do this. And it might be within the next five years. <laughs> oh, no. And then well, people will just like quote this episode back at me. It's like, ah, cheater. You said it with your own words. Mm -hmm. Oh, I heard Tasha has a ghostwriter named Josh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I just think that's interesting. So yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. It's weird to think about because that's, I guess that's the goal almost is to get so big that you have the option to have a ghostwriter and you can just put your name on it and then put it in your own voice. And this isn't like something new. This happens. No, and it's also not something really very, very hidden. I think like the reason I mentioned Lord and Miller is because they actually came out and openly talked about the ghostwriter that they use whose name I'm blanking on but I actually really want to ask one of these ghostwriters onto the show at some point and just ask them yeah. about how how they do it and what that process looks like I'm very curious how sad is it that we're we don't know the name of the ghostwriter <laughs> that just makes it even worse I know <laughs> <laughs> we, not, oh, we don't care no. we're just gonna move on from it like okay <laughs> but yeah no we we need to get the ghostwriters on so they can never work again when they start talking about all the yeah, people they right. ghostwrite for. Fuck, it's never it's happened. Just, to me, it's just an interesting glimpse at how the, just the weirdness of our business being a business. Like You and I, we write movies because we love movies. We love the art of it. We love the craft of writing. And then you get you get this information about you know ghostwriters and, and A-list writers and how they work. And you're like, oh, wait a second. This is a business and you have to churn out product. And once you yeah. get to an A-list level, at that point, you are a brand. And so you're churning out your brand and whatever it takes to, to do that, you're going to do. And that's just very interesting to me. Yeah. Let's talk about some Ted freaking Lasso. Specifically, the characterization in Ted Lasso, because there's a lot of things we could talk about with Ted Lasso. We're going to talk about the pilot specifically and just how the hell the, the writing managed to pull off such amazing characters in so short of a span. Yeah. If you haven't seen Ted Lasso, A, I don't trust you. B, what are you doing <laughs> with your life? <laughs> yeah, C, it was 2020, man. Come on. What else were you yeah. doing? <laughs> C, it is on Apple TV. It's actually the literally the only reason we pay for it. And so long as Ted Lasso lives on Apple TV, I will be throwing money at it. Ted Lasso, it is, for those crazy people who don't know, it is a 30-minute dramedy? Is that what we'd call it? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. It's created by Jason Sudeikis and Bill Lawrence, who also did Scrubs. Mm -hmm. And they both wrote the pilot. And it's based on a character that was actually created for NBC Sports, who were doing commercials marketing the fact that they were now broadcasting English Premier League soccer games. And then they just turn that character into a whole show. Brilliant. And this is one of those times where, like, this doesn't always work. Like, people have tried this before, where they have little shorts and that character's great in, like, three-minute spans, five minutes or whatever. Like every SNL but, movie there is. SNL movie, although, shout out to McGruber. <laughs> I love McGruber. Yeah, Ted Lasso is fucking awesome. It works. 
It's great. It's like it's immediately become one of the top five shows I've ever seen in my entire life. And I've oh. seen it like four times all the way through. Oh, yeah. No, not joking. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Josh is like, oh, I love it, but not that much. <laughs> no, I, I mean, that's that's pretty high praise. I have to think about that. It's just so fantastic. And what we're going to talk about about the pilot and the characterization is just microcosm of the macrocosm, meaning it's just a small glimpse of what they do throughout the series that just makes it continually better and surprising and really just fantastic writing ways. The writing yeah. also the acting is is perfect. I will say this is the first time that I rewatched the pilot episode. And or maybe this was actually the third time. I think I watched it actually and it was so good that I was like, Nicole, we need to watch this. And then we watched it again. But rewatching it now, it was amazing. Like I was still laughing and I and it's also cool to see the things that kind of pay off later on and how things were set up and mm -hmm. but yeah, let's 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 talk some characters here. I've got some thoughts. Awesome. I feel like the, maybe the best way to organize this is actually by character. Does that mm -hmm. sound good? Yeah. Do you want to start with Rebecca since she's the one that we're introduced to first? Yeah. So I, I think we're going to kind of take it and see like how the writing tracks each character through the pilot and how they change through the pilot and surprise you in really interesting ways. So the intro scene on Rebecca, who is one of the main characters in the show it's that you it starts with this kind of fun opening music and you see soccer and it's fun and it like the music like screeches to a halt when we land on rebecca's face mm -hmm. and i love that because to me that was like this great audio clue that kind of infers that this woman is a bit of a killjoy <laughs> and mm -hmm. she does kind of start off as a bit of a bitch she's a smart ass to Higgins, another character who's in her office, and Higgins is a kind of bumbling nerd. And so I think anyone who's a smart ass to a character like that, you immediately like, oh, this person's a bully. So you yeah. immediately get that sense. And then this asshole coach is brought in from the team, and he's a misogynist, he's rude, he's pompous, and you immediately don't like this guy. And she fires him. Rebecca fires him in this like really fantastic, extraordinary way. And you see that she's intelligent, she's sharp-witted, she's confident yeah. and poised. And I think she immediately comes off as like, okay, I'm, I'm impressed by this woman. She's a bit of a bully, but I'm impressed by her. But then the scene continues to kind of surprise you, where that scene is then capped by this coach on his way out being fired, picking up the tabloid that has Rebecca's divorce just splashed all over it and making fun of her for being cheated yeah. on by her husband. And again, she handles it with this amazing poise and she's kind of funny about it. She's a bit of a smart ass. And so now not only am I impressed by her, but I feel bad for her and I empathize with her. And I think that's just such a fantastic opener where just there's these two very different moments within the same scene that completely evolves my feelings towards this person. I agree completely. And I think that's important because I think we forget sometimes that within a single scene, we can play with the audience's feelings about a character. Like I kind of tend to think sort of, all right, this scene, the intention of the scene is to just advance this character from point A to point B. But the scene I just pitched you, Rebecca goes from point A to B to C, and there's like a D subtext going on as well underneath just from her acting. There's just so much going on within the scene and so much development in a single scene that it's a good reminder that you can always do more <laughs> with your character within a scene. 
Yeah, that's what I took away too, where it's like, I think this is going to be kind of like a big theme of all of this, but how much Ted Lasso does in each scene with each character where you just, you're constantly moving and changing with the way you feel about them. It starts as one thing and then you're like, oh, okay, I feel differently about this person because I know this person now. And I think it's great. It's brilliant. Yeah, they're constantly flipping expectations, which we will talk about later when we see it a little bit more through other examples. Like, let's talk about the Ted Lasso intro. So it starts with a sports center segment, right? Where it like, yeah. feels like a real life report on who Ted Lasso is. You see a video of him dancing with his college football team, I think it is. Yeah. And then you meet Ted Lasso on the plane. So yeah, yeah. Of, I guess out of that whole section, and I would also include right after the plane, he's walking through Heathrow Airport. Right. When he arrives, I would include that as the whole Ted Lasso intro. Well, first of all, it's just funny. But the thing with Lasso that I really love is like how vulnerable he is. And he's very endearing. And this is like the same thing where this, who you think is somewhat of like a goofy guy is going to London to coach this team. And then boom, he's looking at his family and you're like, interesting. Like, is he going to see his family? Is he leaving his family? Like what, what's going on there? And so you still kind of think he's in this marriage because he's this up, upbeat individual and he's trying to learn the language and he makes that really funny and uh, I guess endearing again comment about like, hey, if I see you in my dreams, let's play with each other. Like we don't know each other or whatever yeah. it was. And then he gets in the airport and he's like, I'm going to carry my own luggage. And like, I think little things like that, you're just like, I like this guy. He's yeah. not a little bitch. He's good. He's not a little bitch. <laughs> no, no disrespect to anyone who gives their luggage away, but you know, not Ted Lasso. Yeah, all those moments you mentioned are the moments I gleaned onto as well. Like how the the kid who's taking the ussy with him on the plane is like, "Oh man, you're you're fucking stupid for doing this. It's gonna be an epic failure." And Ted's just like, "All right, well, people keep telling me that, but I just keep going." You know, there's just like this hope to him that nothing can get him down, which again could play very goofy, but Jason Sudeikis manages to pull it off, and then. I think, yeah, that, that line about, hey, if we see each other in our dreams, let's goof around a little and like pretend we don't know each other. I died <laughs> laughing in that scene. Yeah. I still laugh in that scene. I thought it was one of the funniest things I'd ever heard. <laughs> and it's he's so sincere about it. <laughs> and he has a couple other moments in the show where he talks about like, hey, if we meet in our dreams, like let's apologize to each other just so like we're good there too. You know, like, yeah, he, it just that's part of his belief system, which I think is great. And then, yeah, yeah he, d he does look down at his phone at a picture of his son and his wife as the wallpaper on his phone. And, yeah, you, you're not sure what that means. But what's interesting about how they shoot that scene is that all the lights are going down because it's time to go to sleep for the night on the plane. And it's the only light is really Ted and his phone, him looking down at his wife and kid. So that's just, yeah. it's just a, a nice little nuance in the way that they shot it. Everything is working in, in Ted Lasso. Everything is really – it's again, it's like there's no fat in, in any of this. Um, I love how we were like, we're only going to talk about characters. And now we're like <laughs> breaking down scene by scene and shots and lighting. It's important. <laughs> you know how fuck, I get. What? I know. I know. It's all good. All right. It's all, it all adds to the final product. It's all important. Um, mm -hmm. All right. So yeah, Nate the Great's introduction, which I also really love, which is the next main character that we Nate meet so 
Ted and, and Coach Beard, they go onto the pitch, they start touching the grass. It's kind of this beautiful moment. And then they're interrupted by this small voice from just like really far away, just yelling at them, like, get off the pitch, get off the pitch. Yeah. And it's a whole scene of this guy just running halfway across the pitch, just yelling the entire time. And the scenario itself is very funny. So when we think about the writing of the scene and why it works, I think it's important to point that out because how this like the scenario that you put your character in is going to describe to the audience how we should feel about that character. Meaning yeah. we're not going to introduce Roy Kent in a scenario like this ever. Roy Kent is kind of this grumpy, serious character that we meet later in the pilot. You're not going to introduce him in a funny situation. So to me, the lesson here was when you think of character intros, think about the scenario in which you're introducing your character. I think in each of the scenarios we mentioned above, the scenario itself, I think, tells us a lot about the character, meaning Rebecca is moving into her new office because she just got a divorce and took over the football team. So that's where we meet her. Is in, I think they even say in the actual script that this office is in uh, a moment of change. When we meet Ted Lasso, he's traveling to London to the location of our show. He's kind of a, you know, he's really kind to strangers. Then Nate the Great, he, he's on the pitch. The pitch is his domain. So that's where we meet him. So there are these three distinct places that, that give us three distinct characters. So that was kind of just a really interesting lesson for me to remind myself on. For sure. And a big, a big thing, it was actually watching it this, like this time, I was like, oh, like the common theme here is that everyone's an underdog. When I saw Nate the Great, that's what kind of got me there. When uh, mm. he's like, you know my name? He's like, yeah, what are you talking, or like, you, you want to know my name or mm -hmm. whatever it's, and then I was like, oh, Rebecca's an underdog because she's now expected to fail because she has this yeah. club, obviously Ted Lasso. And I think that's also what really makes these characters great is because you're just kind of inherently rooting for that, that underdog. Yeah, I think that's a really great thought that I kind of hadn't totally put together that all the characters you love in this show are very much underdogs. Everyone, yeah. everyone in the world around them is rooting against them and they kind of have to come together, whether they know it or not, in order to succeed. And that's sort of the inherent thing you're leaning into and watching over the course of the show is, are they finally going to come together? Because you want what's best for these characters. That's awesome. I'm so jealous of this show. It's so good. Yeah. Also, can I just flag another really great Nate the Great moment as part of his introduction? Yes, you get that beat where Ted is like, hey, what's your name? And he's like, oh, no one's ever asked my name before. <laughs> so you get he's underappreciated. But at this point in the story, we also don't really know what Nate's job is. We know he's like dressed in the Richmond tracksuit. He's kind of insecure. And then he takes Ted and Coach Beard to go meet Rebecca. And he like just walks right into the office like, <laughs> like I belong here. And then suddenly yeah. like Rebecca turns to look at him and he just like starts choking on his tongue. He starts so retreating and then he just fucking turns and bolts out of the room. You're like, oh, that is such a great character moment that tells me everything I need to know about this kid. Yeah. And also about Rebecca. And that's again, that was my big takeaway is that the writing is just so constantly unexpected. <laughs> and that's where so much of the comedy comes from. Yeah. Well, I was going to talk about sort of the next turning point for Rebecca, which was really important for me as, as a 
viewer and trying mm -hmm. to understand who she was. And that's when she's giving Ted a tour of the club. And we see that these are two very different human beings. There's no way they could ever, there's no Venn diagram where these people could come together. But then the conversation turns to Rebecca's ex-husband and Ted asks her in a very honest moment, just, oh, how are you holding up? And there's a pause and Rebecca is clearly surprised by this. And I think you can really read it on her face that there's a sense like nobody's ever asked her this question before. She's just had to put up this front for so long. And this man, this stranger is asking her for the first time, very honestly, how are you holding up? And she tells him very honestly, it hasn't been the easiest year. And I suddenly love Rebecca. Yeah. And that's, again, an unexpected thing, because to me, I, when I think of closed off characters, even when I write them. So this is this is a good lesson for me is that characters tend to respond if they're closed off to questions like, hey, how you doing with I'm fine or they change the subject or they ignore the question because that's how you write a closed off character. But what's so surprising about this is there's a moment of humanity where she actually answers it. <laughs> and I just think that's so simple, but it's so unexpected at the same time. Yeah, and I was wondering if the reason why Ted Lasso can ask this question is because he's going through the same thing. Like, normally that's kind of a question where you're overstepping your boundaries. Mm -hmm. And clearly Ted Lasso is smart enough to know he'd be overstepping his boundaries. But since he's going through it, it's almost like his way to acknowledge it because he's like, I, I'm in pain too. Like, mm -hmm. how are you holding up? And he even has that moment where he just... Uh, it's a very subtle kind of nod from Sudeikis where he's like, yeah, all right. And then they just kind of keep moving on and you don't really catch it, especially in the first time you don't really catch it, but I caught it this time. God damn it. <laughs> yeah. It's fantastic. I love it. All right. Yeah. What's interesting, by the way, in reading the script, that moment is not really written to be this epic. I don't think, but I, I think that the actress, Hannah Waddingham just did it so brilliantly in the script the action yeah. description is just she looks at him who is this guy and then she gives her line oh hey by the way thanks for sending me the script yeah you're welcome <laughs> this sounds like a, a revenge mission for me never sending what? you any script <laughs> <laughs> oh man do not cross me <laughs> <laughs> i know you're like, you have back to the future and you haven't sent it <laughs> Well, I'm not going to send you Ted Lasso in one year from right now. <laughs> I write it down in my little revenge book. <laughs> I swear, I picture you having one. It's like a, just a knife on the cover. All right. And tracking Rebecca, <laughs> who I think has one of the more interesting arcs of, of the pilot and the whole series. The next big scene for her is fantastic. She stands up for Ted during a press conference where the... the the press is just swarming poor Ted. And with incredible yeah. poise, she just kind of controls the room. And she's like, this is why I hired this guy. We're doing things the lasso way. We're going to turn this mediocre team into a winning team. And like we, the audience, are like, fuck yeah. Like We're so rallied. This is amazing. This woman's epic. This is exactly why she hired him. And then this is our midpoint where Rebecca shocks all of us by revealing that she is actually the villain. Yes. I'm I'm very happy we didn't like cut away to different characters here because I'm glad we just kind of stuck with the Rebecca arc because it's awesome and kind of goes to what you were saying when we first meet Rebecca and there's the twists and the turns and you don't really like her, then you like her. And then all of a sudden you're like loving Rebecca, like you're just saying. And then, and then she pulls the major league twist where yeah. they want the entire club to fail. And you're like, whoa, this woman's terrible. 
Yeah, she's it's great. She's like, I only hired Ted so that I could sabotage my ex-husband's football club. Ted is an utter buffoon, and I can't wait to see him fail. And you're like, wait, what? Yeah. But I just believed you. And you know the worst part about it is I understand why she hired Ted. That's so great. You do. You're and like, it's it's so brilliant because she's standing there right next to the photo of her asshole ex-husband surrounded by a bunch of you know beautiful young women and looking so happy and she's so miserable. And you get it. It's easy to get. Ted Lasso is fucking deep. So deep. So deep. <laughs> but I think also what I came away with after watching it four times and really trying to think about why some of these characters felt so abnormally special while she kind of has this villain turn i i never quite see her as a villain in fact i don't think there are any villains in this show when you when you mentioned uh, the major league woman rachel phelps who's the owner of of the show she's very like one-dimensional evil owner lady right but rebecca is in pain like you say you totally understand her we see she's complex we get that how are you holding up moment just before this and yeah. I think while I say that there are no villains, there are antagonists. And I think that's what's so interesting. Like J Re uh, Rebecca and then Jamie Tart, who we get into later, they're antagonists to our hero, Ted, because Ted wants AFC Richmond to become a cohesive team and to win. Mm -hmm. Rebecca wants AFC Richmond to lose. Jamie Tart, uh, one of their star players, has no interest in becoming co a cohesive team. So they are antagonists. But I think unlike, say, something like Game of Thrones, we don't want Rebecca or Jamie Tart to die or to get what's no. coming to them. That's not really the catharsis of the show. I think for when you think of a villain versus an antagonist, like a villain, you want them to get their comeuppance, right? For an antagonist, I think particularly in the Ted Lasso case, you just want them to grow and become better people. And I think that's kind of a fantastic lesson as a writer that sometimes our villains don't have to be unredeemable, that they can simply grow and that's enough. That may be the greatest point that was ever made <laughs> on this podcast. I've never thought about that before. It's a really good lesson to learn because I always... I lean into characters who we empathize with, but who at the end of the day need their comeuppance. Yeah. It's a good lesson. To wrap up Rebecca's storyline in the pilot, I think it's also very expertly done. So the final moment is Rebecca at the end of the night is seeing Ted off in the parking lot. And Higgins is there, that nerdy guy from the beginning, says, I'm not comfortable doing this to poor Ted. He seems like such a nice man. And Rebecca bribes him with a promotion and a raise. And you're like, oh, she's so awful. Poor Ted, poor Higgins. And then in this last moment before she drives away, she says, oh, Higgins, you know, as hard as this is going to be, I'm sure it's not going to be nearly as hard as it was sneaking all of my ex-husband's women in and out behind my back for all those years then she just rolls up the window and drives <laughs> off and you're like ah oh, jason and bill you've fucking done it again <laughs> like, yeah ah oh, is higgins the villain who's the villain now like oh poor rebecca she's so hurt and yeah. that's just a fantastic arc for a 30 minute pilot i agree i'm so it's jazzed. great love this show and that's the end of the podcast <laughs> <laughs> 
I feel like we'd be remiss to not do just the, the few beats that are there for the player introductions, which I think, while small in the pilot, are very strong. Yeah. You just immediately know there are three main soccer players, football players, that we hang out with over the course of the show. It's Jamie Tart, Sam. Jamie Tart. <laughs> I love Jamie Tart. And Roy Kent. And we see them only a few times, like I said. And the first time we see them, they're all three in the locker room together. And those three moments are Jamie Tart lifting weights in front of the mirror, <laughs> just staring at himself. And Sam is super happy and he's laughing and he's positive. And then Roy Kent just yells at all the players, tells them to shut up or he's going to start punching dicks. And that to me is just the perfect intro to three very different characters. Yeah. It's like if that was the only intro we had in the, sh in the pilot, I would actually be okay with it. I would too. And then they, they like double down on that when you see him on the field. Yeah. It's like, like a mere image of all of that just put into the field where Roy's just screaming at someone. Sam's just like high-fiving or he's yeah. trying to pick up Jamie Sharp. Jamie Sharp like slaps his hand away and gets, you know, it's amazing. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. We don't have to go into those moments on the field because you're right. They're just a slight sort of evolution of what we saw in the clubhouse. So I'm just wondering, like, why do these scenes work so well in Ted Lasso? Because I feel like, for instance, Jamie lifting in a mirror, that could come kind of like come off as goofy in something else, right? Or am I wrong? Like, is that just like a very good introduction to somebody? I think it's a very good introduction to someone when tonally it makes sense. Like the, the tone of the show is such that that doesn't feel very heightened because none of the other players are doing anything heightened or or ridiculous or yeah. abnormal jamie's kind of the only one just like <laughs> just lifting weights and staring at himself which is a weird thing to do and and i think that's something too that carries on throughout the show is that there's so much normalcy in the show as just like a, a base of where people operate it's everyone operates like real life people until they yeah. don't and then it's funny but they don't like Imagine this being a Jim Carrey show. It'd be a completely different type of humor that I think would just feel very heightened. But there's, it's so grounded that the, I think that's the reason why it works. I could be wrong. That's just my, my feeling, my gut feeling. No, that, seems, that sounds right. All right. So Keely has like two scenes, sort of, one and a half scenes. How would you feel about Keely in the pilot? Yeah, I actually really liked her scene. They kind of like did a little arc with her as well. Yeah, I was, I wasn't sure what to do with the information I had in the pilot, but now after seeing the whole show, I find her introduction to be a lot more tender, I think, than I originally felt yeah. that it was. But so Keely comes in and she interrupts Ted in the locker room and she's just like loud and flirtatious and super confident, which to me felt kind of rude. But then she actually apologizes to Ted and is like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. It's like, oh, okay, I get I guess that's genuine. And then there's a nice moment where Ted is leaning in Jamie Tart's locker and is like covering up her boobs with tape mm -hmm. because he has these naked photos of his girlfriend in his locker room. And it's a clear like show of respect. And you see yeah. that she's kind of touched by that. And it's and it's cute. And then she after that like kind of fucks with him when he's trying to hang his believe sign up on the wall, she kind of fucks with him and makes him yeah. put it up crooked. And it it plays cute now that I know who she is. 
Yeah, I agree. I I love I love that moment. I mean, this is more of a Ted Lasso moment of like showing the sign of respect and taping uh, her chest. Yeah. But I love seeing her that she's happy about it as well because when you first kind of meet her, she seems a little bubbly. Yeah. I guess and kind of like one of those stereotypical women who are portrayed as like a side piece to a footballer. Yeah, just this promiscuous, and, flirtatious girl. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was really tiptoeing around how to say that. I could and, tell. And <laughs> um, yeah, just seeing her reaction is she's like, oh, okay. This is what it feels like. I read it as or watched it as like, this is what it feels like to be respected. Yeah, I did too. It was a nice moment. And she goes on to be one of my favorite characters. She's awesome. Me too. All right. So the final beat on Ted, I think is where and why this show really works. I think you agree with me, but the whole show so far has been very charming. Ted's very funny, naive, uh, very kind. And then he's home alone in the last scene. Mm-hmm. And the first thing he wants to do is call home. And we can tell he's like counting the time difference on his fingers. And he finally calls and he starts to talk to his wife and he's suddenly nervous for some reason. Now, this is someone who in, on the plane was just obsessed with looking at this photo. And now he's nervous, which is kind of weird. And then he says, oh, this neighborhood's so cute. You guys got to come over here. And then he turns to the camera and his face just falls and he's just listening and his eyes are darting back and forth. And it's clear that he said something wrong. There's a a mini argument that goes on and we don't hear anything that his wife says. It's just him and Jason's reactions. It's great. And he's talking about, no, I'm trying to give you space and I love you. And then there's no reply and you just know. And he's like, no, no, it's okay. You don't have to say it back. And then now I'm like fucking in on this show. Like now I'm yeah. there's there's I'm definitely coming back for episode two, which is interesting that like that's the hook of the pilot. <laughs> yeah, he's in pain, and it all makes sense. And like you kind of at least I remember watching and being like, is he only happy because of the pain that he's in? And something that's great with the show is he stays himself the entire time. Yeah, he's damaged and he has these issues, but he doesn't like completely turn into a different person at yeah. any point he's ted fucking lasso he's ted lasso he knows show. who he is but yeah the ending of this is perfect yeah it's a for you and i who write big action adventure type things it is a it is strange to say that the hook of the pilot is ted lasso having a conversation with his wife that doesn't go well and i think because what it does is it turns what could be a ted lasso caricature into ted lasso as a real human being and I want to watch the heck out of a show to make sure that Ted's going to be okay. <laughs> like I fall in love with For this sure. guy and I just want to make sure he's going to be okay. And he's also surrounded by all of these broken people, all these underdogs, as you say. And I want to make sure that like Ted's going to make their lives better. And I think that's just also the fact that we know that that's what the show is going to be about just from watching the pilot is so fantastic. It means it's a a job well done because it's so hard to cram all of that information and all of those relationship possibilities into a pilot. And I think they did a great job. And then can I just say one more thing Please. on a personal level? Yeah. You know me. I love the fish out of water. Yeah. I love the guy with a, you know, broken family, preferably a father issue. <laughs> <laughs> and then I love sport movies or sport shows. Yeah. Well, no, I love sport movies. And putting those together in a TV show for Ted Lasso, that's a comedy. Man, this is like, this really is like a perfect show for That's me. true. I didn't think about, yeah, it's all the elements of a Josh. That's your brand right there. 
How do how do you you know you know Bill Lawrence through someone else, don't you? So can you get in on that? Oh yeah, I know him very well. <laughs> yeah, I'll uh I'll see what I can do. <laughs> I imagine cut to a say anything moment where Josh is just outside Bill Lawrence's yeah. house <laughs> playing the Ted Lasso theme. <laughs> yeah, it's like what are you doing? <laughs> get away. I love you, Bill. But yeah, th- this has the makings for just like a perfect show. There should be more sports shows. Well, it's interesting. I recently saw it, something, I think on Netflix or something, or a show about a small town hockey something. A girl goes to a small town and plays hockey. I was like, oh, like, is this going to be a new Ted Lasso? And then, of course, it does what I think most shows do, probably what I would do, is like, and then disaster hits and like it becomes a thriller. I was like, oh, no, oh. it's not what I want. I want small town sports. I want hope. Yeah. There's something to that. I feel like that everyone who's like competitive or if you've played a sport or if you've been part of a team, like you can really relate to these sport movies and you start rooting for the team as much as you're rooting for the characters. You're like, please just win. And it's really awesome. It's like that built in stakes. Maybe I'm not sure what that is. It's definitely stakes. I think everyone can kind of get behind something so simple as winning a game or losing a game. It's just the stakes become so clear. But also, is yeah. it weird you keep saying sport movie? Should I be saying sport TV show? I think you should be saying sports movie. Well, I was saying, yeah, well, yeah that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I think I got my brain got mixed up talking about Ted Lasso singular and <laughs> the entire, you know. It's like you became a Brit while in the course of this episode. I did. Take me to, over Sport the pond. <laughs> the pitch so that's it that's what we got for ted lasso it's just talking about how fantastic the characterization is and yeah yeah so the big takeaways here let's just real quickly recap recap underdog end of story that's the recap (laughs) no underdog (laughs) flipping expectations Mm -hmm. over the course of the episode but also within scenes themselves yeah and then humanizing all the characters giving them like actual problems that people can relate to mm-hmm. antagonist versus villain that's amazing and the flipping expectations is i just i think that's perfect if you are curious about flipping expectations and how you can do it better watch the pilot of ted lasso totally and then in the future episode we should do something about antagonists and villains i think we should too that's a great idea break down some of the best villains and antagonists and compare totally and uh, next week, we'll have Bill Lawrence on to talk about um, Ted Lasso. <laughs> that would be amazing. Make that call, please. I have so many questions. Yeah, me too. All right. I'll take us out with the quote of the day. Do it. You know what the happiest animal in the world is? It's a goldfish. It's got a 10-second memory. Be a goldfish. Ted Lasso. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I love it. <laughs> All right. Please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act Two Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. And me, Josh, on Instagram at Josh Hallman or Twitter at Joshua Hallman. And as always, the Act Two podcast is a production of Act Two, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist. Music by 414 Beg, which you can find on Spotify. Mm-hmm.